Welcome to the Daily DDT Podcast, part of the Fan Sided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Jaden Becker. AEW talent tests positive for COVID-19. Impact Wrestling announces a new show, and I take you through this week's Wednesday Night War. I'm Jaden Becker, and this is the Daily DDT Podcast. You can catch this podcast on all your favorite platforms for your morning drive, lunch break, or whenever you need your wrestling fix. If you like content like this, check out our writers at DailyDDT.com. If you want to hear more from me, give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Jaden Becker TV. Last night was NXT and a pretty impressive AEW Dynamite. But before we get into that, let's take a look at our breaking news. AEW talent Danny Limelight tests positive for COVID-19. Announced on his Twitter that he has tested positive, he tweeted out, On the road to getting better now, stay safe everyone. Limelight was just starting to get some recognition, had a match against Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers a few weeks back when teaming up with Griff Garrison and Brian Pillman Jr. We hope you get better soon. Definitely want to see you back on TV as soon as possible. Impact Wrestling announces a new show, Before the Impact. Yes, that is the name. It will air each Tuesday night on Access TV at 7 p.m. Eastern. As a type of pregame show, that's how it's sort of been described. John Burton will be the host of BTI, that's the abbreviated name. He'll be joined by Josh Matthews and Gia Miller. Matthews will also be the senior producer on the show. No word if it will be on Twitch as of yet. That's how I currently watch Impact Wrestling, not on Access TV. I don't have, funny enough, access to that. But what I did have access to last night was AEW and oh boy. What a fantastic AEW Dynamite that was. We're going to go run through this whole show and starting directly at the top in the beginning, first match of the night, Joey Janela versus Darby Allin for the TNT Championship. Darby Allin having a great title reign coming into this match. These two have a long history on the independent scene. I remember a post came out. I don't remember if Joey Janela tweeted out himself or if it was AEW's own doing. But I believe they had six prior major matches on the independent circuit and that the record was three to three. They're even coming into the professional scene of impact, excuse me, of AEW. And for these two, they definitely put on a show. Allen was in control until action fell outside. Janela with a nasty drop of Allen onto the apron in a nice spot with Janela slingshotting the rope into Darby Allen's face. You don't really see that that often, but literally took the middle rope and then snapped it right back into Darby Allen's face. And then he was able to come back into the match. Darby Allen was multiple pin attempts back and forth with some great nonstop mat wrestling. Allen wins with a coffin drop and retains the championship. You can tell right off the bat that these two wanted to impress on a big stage you know they've been obviously practicing for years and wrestling for years and against each other in major spots and this was obviously the biggest spot where they can be on a dynamite in a stacked card for them to open up the show the way they did absolutely fantastic moving on to the next segment sammy guevara and mjf backstage Uh, mjf walks into the room full of Inner Circle members, and uh, Sammy Guevara and MGF are left there alone as everyone was asked to leave, and they want to talk it out. MGF realizes that Sammy Guevara doesn't like Chris Jericho. He tries to gaslight him there. I learned that word the other day, and I 
thought that was, I don't know, I didn't know what gaslit mean for a long, long time. I always heard it, never knew what it meant when someone's gaslit, but it's when you uh, change a situation, trying to develop it in your own way, in your own image, uh, that is completely wrong from what the real way is. So I learned that the other day, and uh, it's a good word, it's a good word, people that do it are terrible people, but good word, I'm glad I learned it. Uh, Sammy Guevara says sarcastically that he wants to be the leader of the inner circle, MJF secretly recording on his phone on the desk nearby, Sammy Guevara finds out, and he breaks the phone by throwing it against the wall, and he attacks MJF by punching him in the ribs, I believe this is the first time uh, at least as they're together on the inner circle, that Sammy Guevara actually physically attacks MJF. They obviously got into confrontations and pushing and shoving. That's one thing. But to physically throw a punch, I think this was the first time. And, and what a blow that was. We're going to see later on throughout the night how much that affects the inner circle. And if you watch the show, you already know. Uh, moving on to the next match, Cesar Bononi and Peter Avalon take on Cody Rhodes and Lee Johnson. Lee Johnson, member of the Nightmare family. Before I get into the match, I just want to say I absolutely despise Cody Rhodes' song with the Snoop Dogg remix. Uh, this is the probably the second time in three episodes now. It's been, we're doing this for three days that I've dissed Snoop Dogg. So, <laughs> Snoop Dogg, if you're hearing this, I apologize. But th there's no beating Cody Rhodes' original theme song with AEW. I could sing that in my sleep. It's absolutely fantastic. There's still bits and pieces in there, obviously. It's not completely all gone. And it's not like Snoop Dogg does a bad job with remixes. Sasha Banks is it's fantastic. So I can appreciate that there. But at the same time, uh, Cody Rhodes, there was no reason to touch that. There's, there was absolutely no reason. Uh, coming into this match, Lee Johnson is looking for his first win in AEW. He is Coming into this match, 0-29. You heard that right. 0-29. Has not picked up one win in 29 matches. And as they go through the match, uh, Cezanne and Peter dominate early on. And as the action continues, Cody Rhodes does get involved a little bit. Not too involved in this match. He was there in the beginning. Was there a little bit at the end. But the match ends with Lee Johnson rolling up Peter Avalon for the victory. Great to see him get the win. And they celebrated pretty hard at the top of the entrance ramp. It had uh, Tony Schiavone come down and give an interview to Lee Johnson. But they mentioned the record. And now he's 1-29. Great victory, but mentioning the record for me kind of soiled it. You know, if you're a person watching, you sort of you understand the underdog story. But the record and records in professional wrestling, I know it's kind of taboo when AEW uh, introduced it. And it, it has benefited them, but I feel like this is a point where the records kind of hurt them here. You don't want to root for a guy that's 1-29. in 29. Some people do. I understand the underdog story, but... There's a difference between a guy that's about 500 and, and a respectful wrestler and a guy that just can't win anything. It's like trying to root for the Marlins in baseball, even though they made the, let's think of a better example, the Pirates coming into this season, you know, uh, if, you're, if you're a baseball fan. Or trying to root for the Texans now in football. They, they, these teams are just wiped up the face of the earth. And you look at Lee Johnson, 
sort of the same type of situation. Actually, the best example would be the Jaguars, funny enough. I don't mean to rub Tony Khan. Oh, I'm getting under everybody's skin here. AEW better not come after me. I better move on to the next segment. The Good Brothers and Young Bucks uh, promo backstage. And they hint at a future dream match against each other. You know, the Bullet Club uh, match against each other. Good Brothers, Young Bucks. Who wouldn't want to see that? But they're going to make us wait for it a little bit. And especially after what happened with the Young Bucks and FTR in their match. People were waiting for that for so long. They felt the build-up wasn't right. If they're going to do a match, Good Brothers, Young Bucks, they're going to get it right now. They're going to have to get it right because they don't want to have two dream matches messed up by a, uh, a poor build, if you will. Uh, next week, the Young Bucks will face Santana and Ortiz for the AEW Tag Team titles. They're going to, obviously, the Young Bucks are the AEW Tag Team champions. So they're going to have that match against an inner circle team where MJF and Jericho are actually supposed to have that match. They're, they are the number one contenders. So. Even though Santana and Ortiz are ranked high, and I love them. You're talking from, once again, talking to a kid from New York, not only a, a Dominican-Puerto Rican guy. So everything Santana and Ortiz does, I absolutely love. So uh, obviously it's going to go the way of the Young Bucks, but great to see them in action as well. Interesting point at the end of that segment, Matt Jackson refuses to do the too-sweet uh, Wolfpack you know, hand symbol and uh, maybe hinting at some uh, breaking up of this, you know, some, some d- dissension in that group. Hangman Adam Page uh, backstage. He runs into Matt Hardy. Hardy invites him to the bar. And obviously Hangman's going to accept. And as Hangman Adam Page is leaving. And uh, splitting away from Matt Hardy. He runs into the Dark Order. And there's some awkward tension. But not awkward in a bad sense. Awkward in a good way. You know you're running into like running into your ex-girlfriend right. Or running into somebody that that you know you still appreciate. But at the same time, you sort of don't really want to talk to anymore in the same way. So the awkward tension there, but you could definitely feel that through the screen. And also, uh, Hungy, they're doing a great job selling his sadness for not being able to uh, secure Hangman Adam Page into the Dark Order. The next match, and this was probably my least favorite match of the night, funny enough, Pac versus Ryan Nemeth. And it was acrobatic dominance early on from Pac, the Black Arrow, into the Brutalizer, and a rare AEW squash match. You don't really see those that often from AEW, a squash match where pretty much Pac dominant almost the whole way through. Nemeth had maybe one or two moves of offense, but I'm not going to give bonus points for it being a squash, but I'm not going to take away points either, only because it's so rare that we see an AEW squash match where when it does happen... It's kind of surprising and it makes you feel good. I wouldn't be talking about it as much as I did uh, as I am now if uh, it happened so often these squash matches. We remember how bad Raw used to be with the squash match after squash match week after week. We we saw it all the time, just bringing up the enhancement talent just to get laid out by uh, you know Sheamus or whoever at that point. Yeah, Shayna Baszler, she she was squashing people too. That was sort of the time when Paul Heyman was at the head of creative. But I'm, I'm not talking about WWE here. I'm talking about AEW. It's very rare to see, and when it does happen, it's kind of surprising. But at the same time, I don't want to see a lot of squash matches either. So uh, I'm just going to give it the benefit of the doubt, leave it as is. Not going to dock it points, but not going to give it points either. Next segment, MJF and Chris Jericho versus The Acclaimed. Prior to the match, Jericho finds out that Sammy Guevara attacked MJF. MJF fully wrapped in 
as if he fell down a flight of stairs and broke his ribs, fully wrapped across his abdomen, uh, selling that gut punch. And uh, maybe it hurt him emotionally, where he really needed to put that, <laughs> the rib wrap. And uh, from the acclaim in their entrance, I, I always listen to the freestyle. I have to. Some were really bad in the beginning, at least in my opinion. But this was a good one. The acclaim took a little bit for me to get used to. I wasn't a super fan of them in the beginning, but I understand their presence. And I appreciate them now and what they do. Uh, I was a little sad there was no Super Bowl reference in the freestyle usually they're topical with that uh but it's okay it's a couple days away at the same time there are in florida so maybe would have got over there either way you look at it uh i would have liked to see a super bowl reference that might just be me nitpicking there uh, mjf favors his taped ribs throughout almost the whole match leaving jericho to uh have a little bit of an extra burden throughout the match aubrey edwards the referee does her classic kick to uh when she sees something illegal they were doing a, a leverage move where jericho was holding on to mjf's arm uh to bring some more leverage into the submission attempt and aubrey edwards with a nice swift kick to break that up and i thought that was hilarious judas effect to end the match jericho and mjf win samuel guevara enters after the match is over to his own music not the inner circles music and Surprisingly enough, Sammy Guevara quits the inner circle. No longer a member. He walks out, has an interview uh, as he is walking out, and he says he needs time to refocus and needs time away from this place. How long he will be away, I'm not sure. Probably won't be back until Revolution. Probably will be back to spoil MJF and Jericho's uh, trying to win the tag team titles from the young bucks that that is my prediction there but nothing set in stone as of yet but all we know right now is that sammy guevara is no longer part of the inner circle which is it hurts a couple people it's not going to hurt me that much i am a fan of sammy guevara's in-ring work and i think he's a great bumper so uh, it will be tough to see him away from television, but he hasn't been in ring that often in these uh, past few weeks. Uh, we've seen him on Dark a little bit, and then obviously the Inner Circle uh, multi-tag team match against each other. Next segment, Matt Hardy and Hangman Adam Page at the bar. Hardy tries to make Page sign one of those carny contracts where Hardy takes 30% of his cut and all the stuff like that. The, the private party... Sign that similar contract, but funny enough, Private Party actually is doing a great job now uh, doing some work over at Impact Wrestling. When you're working on two brands, you can't really ask for more. So Matt Hardy, funny enough, doing some great things, even though he is that carny type of guy, quote unquote. And Paige agrees to it, but he pulls out a different contract in his suit while Matt Hardy's back is turned and talking to the camera. Signs that, tricks Matt Hardy into the signing uh, his own Hangman Adam Page's contract. And now next week we will see a four uh, eight way excuse me tag match with Paige Hardy Private Party going against uh, four other AEW competitors. Obviously, every week we have to have our Sting segment of the week. Just got to have him do his entrance in this one. He goes stands in the middle of the ring before he can speak to Tony Schiavone. Cut up to the jumbotron. Darby Allen is in a body bag, and FTW. Taz's crew is in a car and they drag the body of Darby Allen while in the body body bag uh, around the parking lot area of AEW. What a fantastic, fantastic visual 
of Darby Allen being dragged away. Just the little things and the sound of the concrete of the back of the body bag being dragged along. It's those little things, as I said in last week's, uh, excuse me, in yesterday's episode that really do it for me. As he's driving away, you can see it's speeding away, and you, and you could feel it yourself. Like, oh, that must that must hurt. You know, you must feel that in your back. But uh, either way, a great job there from AEW for giving that complete visual of that moment. Really, really, really good job. Moving on, getting some women's action. And this is the first match in the AEW Women's Eliminator Tournament. Thunder Rosa versus Layla Hirsch. And these two... I'm going to predict are going to be the cornerstones of the women's division in the future of AEW. Not right now. There's still a couple pieces, obviously. They got the champion, and you have uh, uh, Britt Baker, and there's a couple pieces moving here and there. But Thunder Rosa and Layla Hirsch, they're, they're way too good, in my opinion, in the ring to be uh, second-class talent. They, they, they should be top talent. In my opinion, Thunder Rosa wins with a modified package pile driver. She moves on. And if you are interested in continue watching the women's uh, eliminated tournament, that's going to start on YouTube this Monday at 7 p.m. It's going to be the Japan side of the bracket. I don't have the bracket uh, directly in front of me. If you want to search that, you can check out obviously AW and Twitter. It's all it's all over, but it's going to be that whole right side of the bracket that japan side and it's going going to be fantastic because if they're getting overseas talent as well as long as with their united states talent you can only imagine what that final is going to look like and speaking of japan talent heading over to our main event kenny omega the AEW champion teams up with kenta from new japan pro wrestling as they face off against John Moxley, the IWGP United States champion for New Japan Pro Wrestling, and Lance Archer, who also spent some time overseas and uh, as well got into that feud last week by trying to help out Moxley as well. This was a false count anywhere match. Don Callis was on commentary. And the beginning of the match, Kenta and Kenny Omega had a tough time getting along, but they realized, hey, we both really don't like moxley so they both went on and attacked moxley great strikes between kenta and moxley is almost that strong style uh, type of strikes that you see in new japan pro wrestling and uh the, the stuff that looks like it really really they're not holding back in any way shape or form no pulled punches here or there that as the action starts to move around outside the ring in a false count anywhere match uh they end up going through Avalon's platform on the outside. Sometimes if you look on the outside of the the ring where they have the wrestler slash fans area, you have Avalon's red platform. They put Omega uh, was thrown through that platform. It looked like he actually legitimately took a hard bump through. Might have caught a beam on the bottom, actually. And uh, But Omega ended up being fine. Kenta and Moxley find their way to the, the kitchen in Daly's place. Who would have thought that they would have had a full-blown uh, kitchen there? But I guess you got to serve your patrons. Am I right? Uh, and funny enough, uh, Moxley is put into a submission. Archer comes out of nowhere with the sack of potatoes and literally wails on Kenta with potatoes. Moxley hits Omega with potatoes as well. And my, my only note underneath uh, the Kenta match... Uh, throughout the for the main event is potatoes because that that was the funniest part of the whole night seeing the potatoes being thrown around 
going back towards the ring, they actually did a great thing uh, when it comes to production value. Instead of following them walk back to the ring and towards the main area, they actually cut to highlights from the match uh, that that was currently going on, the main event, and just different spots that they had and different spots they wanted you to see. But we didn't have to see them walk all the way back. Great production value point. No, no jump cuts, no anything like that. They were able to make it directly to the ring or to the ringside area without being dragged all the way through because you'll only imagine how difficult it could be to carry a camera and to keep it in focus with good production value. So might as well just cut off and away from it while they all return to the ring. We had an I am the table moment with Kenta trying to do a double stomp onto Moxley. And that table did not break. So shout out to the people at Botchamania for that I am the table moment. The Good Brothers enter to take down Archer and Jake the Snake Roberts who was ringside at this match. Kenny Omega was going for the V-trigger to Jake the Snake Roberts, but uh, a barbed wire bat saves him as Moxie goes crazy with that. A one-winged angel to Archer ends the match. Obviously, no one has kicked out that one-winged angel from Kenny Omega. And a uh, smart move by pinning Archer and not Moxley. You don't want to bury Moxley there, obviously, and Archer can take that pin. But, yeah, obviously, a fantastic show. A fantastic show. I know I ran through that pretty quick because I also have to run through uh, NXT in the next block. But uh, obviously a fantastic show from top to bottom. The only thing I can look at from this whole card and say I was a little disappointed was the Pack versus Ryan Nemeth. But at the same time, I can't really dock it because they rarely ever do a squash match. They rarely, rarely ever do that. Do, do that. And the besides that as well was the Lee Johnson victory. I don't mind him winning, but I don't I don't enjoy the pomp and circumstance after. The guy's one in 29. So yes, congrats on your first win, Lee Johnson. I'm sure you and your family are very proud, but at the same time, I don't need all that pomp and circumstance either. After the break, we're going to talk about some On This Day in Pro Wrestling. I like to keep that in every episode, and we're going to go through NXT. Stay with us right here on the Daily DDT Podcast. On this day in pro wrestling, on February 11th, 1996, Brian Pillman made his final appearance on WCW, had a 59-second match with Kevin Sullivan at Super Brawl 6 with the famous quote, I respect you, Booker Man. Kevin Sullivan was the booker for WCW at that time, left to go to ECW, was set to return to WCW at some point. So it was a deal of of Pillman going to ECW to work on his character, sort of an, an outlandish type of guy, a guy that was sort of off the chain and was going to come back to WCW, but ended up signing the first fully guaranteed contract in WWF history and obviously did not return to WCW because if you get that type of money, there's no reason to go back to WCW, especially if that contract is guaranteed coming from Vince. You, I don't think you ever see that anymore. So, that is definitely a big moment in 1996. And in more recent history, we're going to talk about some New Japan here. Personally, I don't watch a lot of New Japan. Obviously, I watch the big things because I cover professional wrestling, but I don't, I'm don't. i not watching this on a daily basis when it comes to New Japan. But looking back, uh, they had three new beginning shows on the same day, 2014, 2015, 2016, Okada retained the IWGP heavyweight title in 2014 and 2016, and AJ Styles won the IWGP heavyweight title in 2015. 
15. Looking forward to NXT and what a go-home show it was. Oh my goodness. Talk about making fans want to buy that network if they don't have it yet. Because, oh my goodness. You can only do a go-home show a couple ways. And I feel like NXT even broke the mold uh, last night. It was so special. Starting off the night, Dusty Cup Classic, semifinals, MSK versus Legato Del Fantasma. Quick hot tags and double teams from MSK in control early on. MSK was able to push the process, and they were able to do some fantastic tandem offensive moves that I feel like I haven't seen in a long, long time in WWE. MSK will head to the finals after a great, great match between MSK and Legado del Fantasma, and that really also goes out to Fantasma as well. Without them, uh, the bumping and the selling it would be a completely different story and for the moves that they were able to pull off. A lot of quick moves, nonstop action, and it takes a lot of stamina there. So to put on a, an opener like that was really impressive. And an awesome moment for MSK, obviously. And you have to wonder if the Dusty Cup Classic was brought back specifically for them. Win or lose in the finals, you have to imagine that you, you, you ask Triple H, and you say, oh, we, we have this Dusty Cup Classic. You know what? It, this would be good to put these guys over. Have them win a couple matches, head to the finals. Win or lose, they're going to have respect from the fans. So that's sort of how I see it. And I think moving forward, MSK is going to be a real threat, a real, real threat in the NXT Tag Team Division. Up next, Zia Lee versus Cora Jade. Zia Lee, obviously a fantastic entrance uh, and if you've been looking on social media, they have these before and after pictures floating around of Zaylee uh, before she left them and when she came back and now what she physically looks like. She is built like a completely different person. She's built like a tank. She is so athletic and you, you look at her build, you think she can do anything in the ring. But when she does get in that ring, it's very strong style. Great strikes, great moves, and uh, I love her entrance as well. Every time it's a different weapon. It was a sword one time, and it was like two sticks another time, and she, she's been doing a great job. And I also love the mysticism of it. They have that thousand-year-old lady sitting in the chair to uh, start the the entrance. I like the mystic of it. I would like the little a little bit more backstory. I know they went through it a little bit uh, in last week's episode of NXT, but I want to get more involved in it as well. If you're going to give me a story, uh, I, I want to hear more. I want to hear more, definitely. And we did have some involvement with the 1,000-year-old lady in the chair at the end of the match, but obviously Xia Li, very strong, swift kicks, uh, and Jade goes down. For the one, two, three, quick victory from Zia Lee. And I, I talked about squash matches earlier. I'm okay, I'm okay with a squash match like this. Zia Lee, when, when someone looks physically dominating like that, I, I can almost accept it. And especially how they're trying to build her. Uh, I, can, I can definitely take that off the chin uh, without a doubt. Lee attacks Jade after the match for good measure. Casey Catanzaro and Caden Carter were there ringside also before the match to try to talk some sense into Zia Lee as the as the bell rang and try to tell it, this isn't really you. This isn't how you've been, how you've acted throughout all your career. You, you act with respect. Now you're, you're acting differently. And obviously a great character change for Zia Lee. Uh, as we head towards the end of that segment, uh, we have 
Kate and Carter go up to the thousand-year-old lady in the chair, and Zia Lee had to throw her away from the thousand-year-old lady. I, that's the only way I, I can describe her, and I think that's the best way to describe her, the thousand-year-old lady. Lee apologizes to the lady in the chair and is forced to attack Casey Catanzaro for allowing uh, Kate and Carter to get that close. Good segment. Uh, I appreciated that. We had a uh, William Regal segment after that one. The door opens, and he had Scarlett sitting on Regal's desk uh, saying that Karrion Cross wants an NXT Cruiserweight title match, and Regal says, you know what? Good point, and he gives it to Karrion Cross for next week, not at NXT TakeOver for next week versus Santos Escobar. We still have to wonder, what are they going to do when uh, NXT UK has something to say about that NXT uh, Cruiserweight Championship? Definitely going to be a, a tough thing to uh, to work out, but I think it, it's almost a match made in heaven. If you have Devlin, go take on whoever is the NXT Cruiserweight champion when he's able to come overseas. Uh, next segment, the way injury segment. I, I titled it, Gargano was unable to walk because of a broken arm, selling the arm injury suffered by Kushida's kick last week and saying that he can't defend the title at TakeOver. He's broken in 17 places in his in his arm. Regal enters, says Gargano was cleared to compete yesterday, and Gargano fakes an x-ray, obviously hilarious, saying it even said on the bottom right of the x-ray that it was the right arm, even though he was favoring the left arm. That's a hilarious job. Kushida attacks Theory and Gargano at the end of the segment. Uh, and in the ring as well was Indy Hartwell and Candice LeRae as they were there for their next match, which was also the semifinal match of the women's side of the Dusty Cup Classic. They were going up against Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart. Uh, Blackheart, we saw her in the Royal Rumble. I was a little upset that she got eliminated a little bit too fast for my liking. But at the same time, uh, I think she's going to be good on the main roster whenever she gets there. But I think that's a ways away. And she has a lot more time in, in NXT. Not because she doesn't deserve to be on the main roster, but I think she needs a good run on uh, NXT. And something that the fans can hang their hat on, saying that we saw the evolution of Shotzi Blackheart. But she definitely got some love in the Royal Rumble. I just wanted to bring that up. But the match ends up going in the, bla- in the way I believed it should with uh, Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart going over with the victory. The ending was a little odd. It was the Eclipse onto LeRae, and then Hartwell ended up covering LeRae to save her from Shotzi's finisher from the top rope. Shotzi and Move move on to the finals to face off against Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez. I think this is Gonzalez's to win. In the bag. I'm so high on Raquel Gonzalez. I'm so high on Dakota Kai as well. I think both of them together are such a dominant duo. Shotzi and Moon. They're good. And they're great. They're great individually together. They're awesome as well. But Kai and Gonzalez are just on the next level for me. Winner gets a WWE Women's Tag Team Championship match. Finally, you know, the women's tag team needs some love, and then the main roster's not doing anything with the women's tag team. So maybe NXT will. Maybe we'll see. That, that that's one thing that's been pissing me off about WWE lately is that the women's tag team division isn't getting any love, and I think it definitely deserves it. 
especially how we've seen that title be able to be developed, especially when you put some top tier talent on that uh, on those belts. So uh, right now, I don't mind it on Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, uh, but I think it's still a transition time and not a permanent thing with those two on. And there's no way it's going to Lana and Naomi. I, I really, really highly doubt that. Next segment in NXT, Austin Theory versus Kushida. Kushida dominant throughout the beginning of the match with strong strikes and joint holds. He really does a good job early on, really with some strong tree trunk kicks, it felt like, uh, from Kushida. And the match is stopped as Kushida has Austin Theory in a submission. Gargano, uh, the, the submission was on the apron. Gargano with a super kick onto Kushida. Austin Theory ends up being pulled underneath the ring by Dexter Loomis, of all people. And both Loomis and Kushida execute submission moves in the middle of the ring on Gargano in theory. Uh, I'm a big fan of Dexter Loomis. I'm really glad Kushida's having his time in the sun. But I believe the NXT, the NXT North American Championship is Loomis's to win. And I think he's going to win that off of not Kushida, but Gargano. Loomis has just been rocking it as of late. He doesn't say one word, but him hosting New Year's Evil was fantastic for me. Uh, you know, who, who knew he can draw? I doubt those were his drawings, but uh, <laughs> who knew? Uh, obviously, uh, fantastic work from Dexter Loomis. And I'm hoping big things from him. And also Austin Theory. He's doing good for himself in NXT. We saw him have a main run, uh, main roster run uh, around WrestleMania. He, he was in WrestleMania, and a lot of people were surprised that he got called up. I know a Paul Heyman experiment at that, and he he did his job on the main roster, and he did his, he's doing his job in NXT now, and he has a stamp of approval from Gargano. So I can't be uh, too mad at him for for anything, even though he's the butt of the jokes. Uh, pretty often, uh, he's doing his job, and uh, uh, when you do your job like that, I think uh, things are definitely going to go his way. And he's very talented in ring as well. You know, the arrogant stuff. Uh, I think it's all show, and uh, I really expect big things from from Austin Theory. Next segment: Carrying Cross laying out Legado del Fantasma after Santos Escobar was t- told Legado del Fantasma to attack Carrying Cross. Karen Cross, obviously, too strong, laid him out as the, the camera pans toward him. And he ends it with a nice TikTok. I wonder if Karen Cross is on TikTok. I do have to check that out. That would be pretty funny, wouldn't it? And one of the biggest segments from NXT was up next. The return of Cameron Grimes returns in a Lamborghini. And my real question is, whose Lamborghini is that? It was is that a rented one? Is that Bad Bunnies? Is it, whose Lamborghini is it? Because I, I highly doubt it's Cameron Grimes, but the the gimmick that they have just put on him might be the most perfect gimmick in in the history of pro wrestling. I, I, just, I just said it, the most perfect gimmick. He said once he made it down to the ring after handing out some money to uh, people ringside, the fans, the people in the NXT parking lot. Uh, he said that he found video games, and by finding video games, he also found GameStop. And he's like, you know what? That might be someplace I'll put my money in. And where'd that GameStop stock go? To the moon! And <laughs> come on, playing off his previous gimmick with the to the moon stuff, and now with that phrase, we've all heard it a thousand times, with that phrase, with all these stocks going up and up, we hear it all the time for him to to say that 
and to come back into NXT with that type of gimmick. And he, he honestly has the look for it as well. He doesn't look like a person that would be rich, but is rich because he did some simple investing for, for almost no reason as a joke, and he actually became rich off of it. Obviously, uh, a perfect, perfect gimmick for Cameron Grimes, and I hope that sticks around for a long time. Maybe not a long time. Give, give him a month or two with it, and then let him go broke. Let him go completely broke, side of the road, no money, lost all of it, but let let the richness gimmick play out. I want to see that. He also mentioned, I uh, called the dog coin, but uh, it's like technically Doge coin. Uh, I know a little bit of my crypto. I'm not, I'm not too under the rock watching all this pro wrestling. Moving on to the main event, it was the other side of the bracket of the semifinals of the Dusty Cup Classic. The Grizzled Young Veterans versus Timothy Thatcher and Tommaso Ciampa. Grizzled Young Veterans attacked uh, be- before the match by Thatcher and Champa, uh, giving Champa and Thatcher obviously the advantage early on and cutting off uh, Grizzly Young's veterans promo as well. Uh, Thatcher was able to dominate early on, but the tag team chemistry avails from the, the Grizzly Young veterans and the blood showing out of Thatcher's nose. He always seems to be bleeding in every match, either from the ear, the nose, the head, whatever. It's all the time with Thatcher, but, you know, the Mr. Angry Wrestling, that's sort of what you're going to get. Doomsday Device connects onto Champa, but that's broken up. But then the ticket to mayhem by the Grizzled Young Veterans lead them to victory and move on to the finals versus MSK. And all I say to this is remember the number one rule of tag team matches. A tag team should be two singles competitors, even though Thatcher and Champa are now considered a tag team because they have respect for each other. The Grizzled Young Veterans won the Dusty Cup Classic the last time it happened. So they're an established tag team, and it showed throughout this match. And I think NXT did a great job showing that the chemistry between the Grizzled Young Veterans was better than between Thatcher and Champa, even though they have great respect for one another. A tag team should always be two singles competitors. That's the rule of thumb. And whenever that rule is broken, I cringe a little bit because it devalues the tag team division. What's the point of being a tag team if you're going to lose to two guys that never tag team? That That's my opinion. Even though Thatcher and Champa also have some tag team resumes, not with each other. They had a couple matches and in the Dusty Cup Classic. So I think this final is almost perfect. And as I said earlier, this was billed for MSK. If they win, they beat the previous winners of the Dusty Cup Classic. And if the Grizzly Young Veterans win, they're two-time cup winners. I don't see that happening. I think MSK goes the whole way. I might have just given up. I did give up one of my picks for uh, NXT TakeOver Vengeance Day. But, hey, I'm I'm a big fan of what they're doing with this Dusty Cup Classic, and I'm glad they brought it back because MSK uh, is going on the up and up. And now my favorite part of the show was the send-off. It, it, funny enough, wasn't any of the matches. Maybe the Cameron Grimes stuff, it, it's tied with it. It's tied with it. But the send-off, it, they ended the show running through the card with the, the competitors physically facing off in front of a, one of the side panel jumbotrons that we saw uh, Dexter Loomis draw on and all the stuff like that. So all, all the way in the corner of the of where they're holding NXT. So they had all the competitors walk up in front of that and face off for a little bit. Fantastic visual. Fantastic. They did that three times for a couple different matches and then for the main event of 
Finn Balor versus Pete Dunne. They had them in the ring, completely dark, and they had the spotlight on them. You couldn't have done a better job physically facing them off. Physically, face-to-face. It wasn't, it wasn't a pre-cut thing. It wasn't a graphic or whatever. It was physically the two actual competitors facing off before the big fight. Just like how you would see before a boxing match, before you would see in UFC. I absolutely love that. Absolutely. So now the big question is, who won this Wednesday night? This was really tough. This was really, really tough. I didn't give the grade for AEW in the first block, and I'm going to give it now, just so we have them directly next to each other. And I'm giving a pretty high grade to AEW. I'm giving them an A- minus on that episode. Fantastic. Fantastic. The amount of stories that were developed going through the whole night. Everything with MGF and Sammy Guevara. Obviously the main event. Almost every match hit for me. Fantastic. Fantastic. NXT, I'm giving a B plus. I know it sounds tough, but imagine it like this. Imagine it like this. AEW got a 90 on the test. NXT got an 89. That's how close it was for me. That's how close it was. And the, what put AEW over was the name value of that main event. To have Kenta there in the main event, it, they're doing groundbreaking things. They're doing groundbreaking things in AEW. NXT, fantastic go-home show. Absolutely fantastic go-home show. And, and do you know who this benefits the most? Us, the wrestling fans. We just watched two absolutely fantastic Wednesday night shows. And uh, this is the best time in the world to be a wrestling fan, I believe. Absolutely fantastic from both shows. But I do give the edge to AEW on the night. But literally by one point. That's what I give it to. Literally one point. Looking into this afternoon, NXT UK, Nico Satsumura arrives on NXT UK. A lot of people have been waiting on her to arrive for quite some time, but definitely going to make an impact on the NXT UK women's roster. And The Hunt take on Flash Morgan and Mark Andrews in a street fight. Definitely going to be a great one to see on NXT UK this afternoon. But that's all the time for me. You can catch this podcast on all your favorite podcast providers. If you like content like this, check out our writers at Daily DDT. If you want to hear more from me, give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Jaden Becker TV. I'll see you tomorrow with another episode of the Daily DDT Podcast.